0: Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to you about how to stay calm, centered, and not too frazzled when you're parenting a child with anxiety and or OCD. And that is completely easier said than done. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about my podcast format for just a brief second before we get into that topic, because I have been doing a lot of interviews lately, and I wonder how you're feeling about that. So some feedback would be helpful. You can contact me, go on my website at com, and you can leave a comment um, under my podcast and let me know if there are interviews have been helpful. If you found them interesting, also you can be in my private Facebook group and I would love to hear from you there. And I'll leave a link below in the show notes so that you can join my private Facebook group. But I have been doing a lot of interviews lately. I have two more coming up that have already been recorded. And, um, so next week I'm going to be talking to, or actually have already been talking to Chris, the producer of unstuck a kid's OCD movie. And he is the producer of that documentary. It's a phenomenal documentary. He's interesting to talk to. He is very passionate about helping educate the world about OCD. And that's that's helping so many kids because we really need to normalize OCD. So that will be next Tuesday. The following Tuesday, I talked to Anila, who is the creator of Keen, which is a bracelet that helps with kids who have repetitive body-focused behaviors like picking and pulling and biting. She was fascinating to talk to super helpful, really helpful for me and my journey with my own daughter. So next week and the week after are going to be interviews. And then I'm going to take a break from interviews because I've actually missed talking to you directly. (laughs) So I want to take a pause on the interviews. If, if somebody phenomenal comes in my path and, and I really want you to hear from them, I will interview them sporadically. I'll do some interviews, but I think I'm going to go back to talking to you directly because it's kind of, I kind of miss it. So anyway, I want to talk to you today about the anxiety that we feel around our children's issues and how to anchor yourself. And so the first thing I want to talk about is realizing that, that their timetable to, to get better is their timetable. And we can't We can't have our own agenda of how quickly or how slowly they're going to get better because we're not in charge of that. And I will tell you as a therapist and a mom, that's highly frustrating for me because I just see the problem. Once I detect it, I just want it gone. And then when it's not gone, I get anxious about it because then I start to say, oh my gosh, like what kind of mom am I that I can't fix this for my kid? Or worse for me, what kind of therapist am I? What kind of failure am I that I have all of these skills and abilities that I'm teaching other kids and I can't even help my own? But I've had to take a step back from that thought process because one, that's not helping. That's not helping anybody. And two, it doesn't matter how skilled you are as a parent. It doesn't matter how much education you have as a parent. Your child's mental health is their mental health. And their progress will be their progress and their timeline is their timeline. And no matter what you want to do, you can't speed that up. And I've learned that the hard way because I watched my child, my son not eat and slowly wilt away and lose weight and get really bony and push food away. And I would like feel a jolt of anxiety every time I watched him eat. And it was like this panic, like, oh my gosh, we need to do something right away. But he was not ready to work on it. And there were a lot of complications with him as far as what it was. You know, is it OCD? Is it ARFID, which is an eating disorder? Is it PANDAS? And we're trying to find those answers out, which we're still somewhat in the middle of trying to find all those answers. But until we did, he wasn't ready to battle his food issues. And so I could set up exposures or do challenges for him to eat, but he wasn't ready for that. And I had to accept that. And that was the hard part for me was understanding that he has to be ready to work on his stuff. And your kids have to be ready to work on their stuff. And if they're not, then you have to take all of your energy and focus it on motivating them educating them, letting them understand anxiety, getting them to understand OCD, but not in a, I'm going to shove this down your throat sort of way in a sympathetic, caring, concerning sort of way. This is what you have. This is what's going on with you. You're not alone. And, and sit with the educational piece for a while, because if your kid's not on board with treatment, if your kid's not on board with battling then you might as well not battle because it's going to be counterproductive. It's not gonna be helpful. And that's why when kids come into my practice, the first thing I start with them is education. I have them watch my YouTube videos. (laughs) I do. I tell them as homework, go home, watch my YouTube channel and, and look at these videos that I make directly for kids so that you understand what your anxiety is. You understand what your OCD is, whatever their issue is. So... You can do that as well. Have your child read books. There's some great books out there. Um I like Outsmarting Worry by Dawn Huebner. She, her other two books are good. What to do when your brain gets stuck for OCD or um Aurene Wagner's book Up and Down Worry Hill. Those are all really good books. Uh What to do when you worry too much by Dawn Hebner again. Um For Anxiety is a really good one. And Anxiety sucks not to promote my own book, but I I always forget to mention my own book. I'm like a terrible, uh, (laughs) self-promoter, but anxiety sucks. A teen survival guide. My own book is really helpful. I think totally biased for, um, kids 10 and older with anxiety issues. Eventually I'm going to write OCD sucks, but that is in the future. So educate them. If you can go to my YouTube channel at uh youtube.com backslash c backslash anxious toddler78. I have changed my YouTube channel to make almost predominantly all videos directly for kids. And so if you don't know where to start and they're visual and they like YouTube, have them watch a YouTube video. I try to keep them short. So that is one thing that I've learned is my child is gonna work on this stuff when they're ready to. The other thing that I have had to realize is that my kids are going to have ups and downs and it's progress is not linear. It is bumpy and you backslide. And that's not an indication of failure that you're doing something wrong. It's not necessarily an indication that there's something new wrong with your child. Anxiety and OCD flare, you have, it's cyclical. I kind of equate it to, you know, the ocean. It comes in and it comes out. Hopefully the waves get smaller over time. And hopefully you know how to navigate the ocean better, but it's still going to come in and come out just like the waves come up and down. That's just how life is. And so I'll give you an example from my own personal life. So recently my kids, two out of my three started to have major sleep issues again. And I thought we had really gotten better, but I got a little bit lax. So I guess I'm doing some self-blaming and I shouldn't because I'm trying to tell you not to do that. So whatever. But they, they started to develop some crutchy type of behavior. So my two little ones, my six and eight year old started to sleep in the same room because they were anxious. And I thought, eh, okay, that's fine. And then for some reason, their anxiety started to really rev up and they both wound up, in my loft. So I have an upstairs and it's kind of like an open floor plan. So I have this loft, but it's kind of open. I don't know if that's making any sense to you, but so we have a couch upstairs. Now my bedroom and the living room and everything the kitchen, it's all downstairs, but upstairs there's like a little loft, which is kind of like a playroom, but it's open. And so there's a balcony and you can hear everything. And then the kids' bedrooms are all upstairs. And so they got in the habit, my two little ones got in the habit of just sleeping on the couch in the loft, totally dysfunctional. And then on top of that, the light was on and they were listening to our, you know, everything that was going on in the living room downstairs. And so my husband and I weren't really able to talk or, you know, kind of relax at night because they were right there. And they were still, even with all of that on the couch with the light on, they were still having a hard time going to sleep. They still were They. It's almost like their anxiety was feeding off of each other, and they were both panicking. Anyway, I had this thought: like, what is happening? We are living in such dysfunction, and I think even my husband said something like, "They're not doing well." And I felt, you know, like, oh my gosh, like it was my failure. They're not doing well. I'm not doing well. I'm not doing well as a parent because they're not doing well. And really. That's a terrible way to look at things because things are going to get worse and they're going to get better. You're going to hit bumps. And so eventually I said, well, my husband was like, we have to stop this. (laughs) And he was right. And so eventually I said, okay, everybody back in their rooms and we have to work on, we have to work on sleep and we hyper-focused on it. And now my six-year-old, she's going to bed without a problem. I mean, her usual kind of anxious self, but not the level it was. And I said to my son, you have got to get back in your bedroom. And I said, there are just some limits and some boundaries we have to set. And we're going to just focus on this for a while. And it, it is currently still a battle. He's still having a really, really hard time sleeping. He's very anxious. And I've done all the things that I tell kids to do. And I do all the things that I tell parents to do. And he's still struggling. And guess what? That's okay. Because that's his struggle. He has anxiety. It's not that we're not doing enough. It's not that he's not doing enough. We are all doing just enough to help, but he has anxiety. And so if a, if a child is diabetic and their sugar levels are out of whack and you're giving them the medication that you think you should be giving them and you're teaching them how to eat properly, but their sugar is still out of whack. You don't blame yourself and say, oh my gosh, I must be failing my kids because I just can't, can't get their sugar levels. Okay. No, it's like, well, they're diabetic. And sometimes it's really hard to manage diabetes. It's the same thing for anxiety. And I'm telling you this, but I'm also telling myself this because we have to allow our kids to have bumps and, and not blame anybody. He's, he's trying really hard, but he's still struggling. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast for for parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. So, I also want to talk about how sometimes we have to step back and allow them to fail and allow them to struggle. And I had a really interesting conversation with Anila, the the creator of Keen, the bracelet I was just talking about before. And when it comes to my daughter's picking, it was really hard for me to, to be quiet and to be uh, a passenger in her journey and let her drive because with picking and pulling, you're seeing them physically harm themselves. And that's incredibly hard to stomach, but I actually never looked at it in the way that I look at anxiety and OCD with anxiety and OCD intellectually. I know this is not my battle. I'm going to give them tools and they can choose to use them or not use them. I only have so much power in that whole thing, but I wasn't looking at picking in the same way And Anila in my conversation with her, and actually we talked to another person that works with Anila, Ellen, and she was really insightful too. And you'll hear that interview in two weeks, but she was talking about how it's still their journey. And I have to allow my daughter to find her own way in that. And, and I guess it's true for all issues that our kids struggle with is that we can give them the tools, but we really can't, I can't live vicariously through her in a bad way. So I see her picking at her forehead and I would have panic similar to my son when I would see him not eating, you know, there's just this sheer panic of, Oh my gosh, my kids on fire. How do I put them out? And now I realize, okay, I give her the tools. You know, I say, Hey, where's your fidget stuff? Or Hey, good job chewing on your chewy topper. <laughs> we'll talk all about that next time. Well, when I When I interview Anila, I'll do an intro about kind of an update on how my daughter is doing with her picking behavior because a total side note, but picking and pulling and biting behavior, those happen to be highly correlated with kids with anxiety and OCD because it is a comorbid condition. And so kids who have anxiety or who have anxiety or have a OCD are more likely to also tend to have like trichotillomania and, uh, picking issues. So total side note, but I bring that up because it's one, it's currently something I'm dealing with. And two, I mean, it happens so much where I see something happening that I don't like. And instead of condemning my child and being like, stop picking or to my son start eating. I don't care if you're anxious about your food, you need to eat anyway. I am being supportive. I'm highlighting when they're doing things right. I'm keeping it quiet when they're doing things that are technically quote unquote wrong or feeding the anxiety. And I'm trying to be positive. And when, when we show our kids our anxiety and when we show our kids our disbelief in their ability to fight their fears or fight their OCD, then we're conveying a message that they don't, they don't have this. They don't got this. (laughs) That's probably not proper English. And we really want to believe in our kids, even if they don't believe in themselves. And even if we don't believe in them, we have to fake it till we make it because that emotion is contagious. And so I was talking to Kayleen Henderson last week about this. and, And I think that's kind of why I wanted to come on and do this kind of short episode on this more in depth is because it triggered a lot of emotion to me. You know, that how often do we not believe in our kids because they have been anxious in the past? Or how often do we wait for them to fail because we know that more often than not, they do struggle. And so showing that confidence that they have this and giving them all the tools and then letting them fail and pick themselves up is so important and yet such a struggle. The other thing that helps me, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but so this may be just a personal philosophical thing that helps me and, and and maybe it won't help you, but, and maybe I have to think this way because of the work that I do as well. But I do believe that things happen for a reason. And I also believe that the struggles that we go through are part of our journey and they're part of our story. And who am I to interject where I want my child's story to go. I want to give them the tools, but I feel like we have to struggle to come through the other end in, in some way or another. We all have our struggles. And for our kids, it happens to be anxiety or OCD, but for somebody else, it might be a medical issue or it might be a social issue or it might not happen until they're 30. I don't know. But I do know that I would not be who I am today Without having been through social anxiety. And ironically, I didn't even realize that I had the level of social anxiety that I had, which was actually pretty intense until about three years ago. Isn't that bizarre? So, around 43, well, no, that's not three years ago, around 42, when I wrote my first book and the publisher was like, Hey, you should probably have some sort of platform. And I started to develop this blog and then it morphed into kind of this thing of its own, which is a totally separate story, but I had to put myself more out there. And I did a lot more self-exploration because I was talking to strangers and I'm talking to you and I'm talking to people I don't know. And people online are cruel. And when you're out there, you're going to get negative comments as well, and. As a very, very fragile soul, <laughs> super fragile, I could not handle anything, any negative comment or anything that even insinuated some sort of negativity towards me. I would crumble. And I had to do a lot of self searching to realize, oh my gosh, I have social anxiety. I can't handle a lot. And so I've come out through the other end and I would not trade that journey for the world because because I am who I am today because of that struggle. And I view things in the way that I view them because of the contrast of how I viewed them before. Now, having said that, we can't pick or choose whether our kids are gonna struggle. And so having that philosophy kind of helps because then you're like, okay, well, you know what? It's serving some purpose. They're gaining strength. They are learning how to fight. I mean, anxious kids and kids with OCD have to fight so much more emotionally than the average kid. And they have to be so much more in tune than the average kid that they're developing skills that far exceed probably the average child and the average child's ability. And I wish that didn't have to happen. I wish kids didn't have to deal with that. It's not like something I'd want to put on my kids, but you have to see the silver lining and things in order to function and in order to be positive with your kids. And I always tell parents that I work with, and I believe this as a parent of anxious kids myself, that kids with anxiety and even OCD, I would lump them together, tend to be the most intelligent, kind-hearted, insightful people I've ever met. They're empathetic and sympathetic and they get people. And for those qualities, I wouldn't change anything. Not that I have a choice. So (laughs) there is that, but I love those other qualities that, that go along with the struggle of having a sensitive child or having an anxious child or having a child with OCD. So it's all about perspective. If we, if we get bogged down with the negativity, if we get bogged down with the, why me, why do I have to deal with this? Why do I have to wake up and spend three hours dealing with this anxiety or these compulsions and nobody else has to, then you're already setting yourself up for failure because that's your mindset. Now, we all have those days. We all have those months. I mean, heck, some of us have those years, but it really doesn't serve you or your children to live in that world of doom and gloom because first of all, you're gonna ooze the doom and gloom. My mood is completely contagious. When I am in a bad mood, my entire house is in a bad mood. My animals are in a bad mood (laughs) because it's contagious. It's oozing off of me. And I don't want to ooze negativity. I don't want to ooze hopelessness. And so I have to find the sparkle of hope in every situation. I have to find the meaning and value in every moment. And part of how I do that, and this is kind of my last tidbit for today, because I vowed to keep this short, but part of how I do that is I stay in the moment. And I say, what's going on in this moment? And I even do this for myself, just on a total side note. Like if I'm having back pain, cause I have a bad back, I'll say, I'm so glad my stomach feels okay. I'm so glad that I can physically walk. I'll find the good in whatever is going on in the moment. And I'll hyper-focus on that aspect. And I'll find that my mood gets uplifted. So with my children, I look at each day kind of in and of itself, I'm not going to say what is going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen in two years? Because most of the time when I do that, because I am a product of anxiety myself, it doesn't look pretty. So when I say, oh my gosh, if he can't eat now in a year, what is that going to look like? And unfortunately I have a zillion kids in my head to conjure up because I'm a therapist of what that will look like. This is what this client looked like. And this is what he looked like a year later. And that wasn't good. That's going to happen to you. That's not really helpful. And to be honest, 90% of the time I'm wrong. It doesn't go as bad as I imagine it to be. And so it was fruitless to do that and harmful because it turned out okay. So in the moment when I wake up and I see my daughter picking, she's got a scab on her forehead and I think, oh my gosh, and my son isn't eating and he's having his dysfunction you know, and my oldest daughter is telling me that she's going to call me and she's not going to be able to stay at school. I say, I could look at those and I can hyper-focus at all the negative, or I say, what's going on today, today, Monday, that's going okay. And I say, you know what? All three of my kids are physically healthy. Nobody has a disease. We are all doing okay. Me and my husband, we are all healthy. We're not dealing with anything life-threatening right now. We're doing okay today. Today is a good day. Today is swim class. Today is an orthodontist appointment. (laughs) And today is talking to you. And that's okay. All three of my kids right now are doing okay. They're alive. They're healthy. They're loving. So look at the good hyper-focus on the progress, even if it's a small step and it can change the way you look at your day. (laughs) I know that's easier said than done. I don't have days where I do that. So this is a reminder for me as it is for you. But I think, I think we can get bogged down with the anxiety and it, for most of us, well, I don't want to say most of us, but for many of us, we have our own anxiety issues and we can feed off of our anxious kids, anxiety or OCD, and it can rev up our own mental health issues. And then it's not helpful for anybody. So take care of yourself. Remember. Your child's problems are not your problems. You are there in the passenger seat and this journey is their journey and it will progress the way it's going to progress no matter what, because they have to do it. Not you, your job is to take care of yourself, to be uplifting to yourself, to love yourself as cheesy as that sounds. It's really ridiculously important. And I'm going to talk a lot more about that in the future, because that's been part of my own self-discovery, which sounds cheesy, but it's important and focus on today. Don't do the what ifs that we tell our kids not to do. Don't magnify it and catastrophize it and see what's going to happen in the future. What is going on today? That is good. And sit with that for a little while. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. It's kind of important. And I will talk to you next Tuesday. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to leave a review. If you're enjoying my show and you're enjoying the information that I'm providing you, and I hope that you are, I'll talk to you later. Take care. Thank you for listening to AD Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.